This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dozens of aviation industry groups sent a letter to President Trump and congressional leaders yesterday urging an end to the partial government shutdown and stressing the harm that it is doing to their industry. The TSA and Customs and Border Protection Agents, transportation security officers and air traffic controllers have been forced to work without pay. New planes have been sidelined, as are approvals of new air routes. There have been reports of TSA workers calling out sick. Unions say air traffic controllers are on the verge of retirement. And they could do so earlier than anticipated without trained replacements, as all training has been suspended. And the issues will only be mounting as the shutdown continues. So lots to discuss. Joining us on the phones to talk about that, Roger W. Clark, who is a founding member and managing partner of the Clark Law Group. He's also a visiting professor at Rutgers University Law School, where he teaches uh, aviation law. Also with us, Dr. Clinton Oster, who is a professor emeritus at Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs. And also Jeffrey Price, professor in the Department of Aviation and Aerospace Science at Metropolitan State University, located in Denver, Colorado. Roger, Clint, Jeff, thank you all for for your time today. Greatly appreciate it. Good morning. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, Roger, what are we looking at right now? I mean, we obviously have, in terms of the management of the airports with the TSA and the air traffic controllers, how much impact are we seeing from the shutdown? Well, there's a lot that's uh, visible and uh, maybe even more that's uh, not visible, Dan, because uh, we realize that uh, there's these essential employees of the government, uh, such as the air traffic controllers and the TSA, uh, people and from their individual perspective, what that means is that they have to continue to work, but they don't get paid, uh, and that creates all sorts of morale issues, of course. But uh, looking the, directly at issues of TSA, there's an increased number of, uh, of people calling in sick, reported lines of uh, or increasing length of lines at TSA checkpoints, people missing uh, flights because of those uh, extra delays. Um, and uh, that obviously is a frustrating problem for so many people. But then with the air traffic controllers, um, we have people who are working. We already have a um, air traffic control situation. The number of controllers is, is at a low ebb, uh, possibly the lowest in, in decades, and having to handle and sequence about 30,000 know, flights a day. Uh, and so these people are working without pay. Um, they are uh, now lacking the new people coming in the pipeline because the training facility for the air traffic controllers in Oklahoma City has been shuttered because of the shutdown. Right. Uh, the new recruits, uh, the, the people just on the job, the, the trainees have been furloughed because they're deemed non-essential. Uh, so they're on a bare-bones operational staff. Uh, the pipeline has been shut down. Uh, you know, we have both acute and chronic issues because uh, we have the acute issue of flights needing to fly today. Passengers need to get on these airplanes uh, and need to be safely uh, transported. Uh, but it's a it's a critical situation in terms of, of it being acute, but it's also going to be chronic because these problems will only uh, get worse as the time goes on. And uh, there's also a lot of issues dealing with uh, aviation safety checks, which we can probably talk about later, that uh, may very well have an even longer fuse uh, on safety issues. Clinton, are you hearing basically the same thing? Yes, I think that, that that's that, that's exactly right. There's, I think, maybe one other 
uh, issue that comes to mind with air traffic control, which is this shutdown has the potential to speed up retirements from those people who are eligible to retire but are still working. There's something just less than about 20% of our current controllers are eligible for retirement. And, and these circumstances are, uh, have, have the potential to, uh, to do that. You know, you, you also have the, the concern about, as, as he said, we've got a shortage of controllers. Some of them are working extra days already prior to this. Uh, that adds to the stress. Uh, and we're, we're seeing that the added stress has the potential to affect job performance, particularly for, for air traffic control. Uh, it's hard to concentrate when you've got the added stress from the financial concerns and, and the like. Um, and yet the ability to concentrate is, is critical for ATC workers. You know, the, the nature of air traffic control, uh, the job of a controller is, you know, there's long periods of time when things go very smoothly, uh, punctuated by periods when all of a sudden a controller's full attention is required immediately right. to, to take care of a situation. And, and the difficulty is recognizing right away when those situations occur if you've got some added stress on the controllers, that's certainly not going to make it any easier. So, uh, Jeff, how, how much impact is there on the airports themselves and the management and the running of the airports when you have these factors uh, kind of adding to, adding to the normal issues that go on day to day? That's really one of the understated impacts that the public is probably not seeing quite yet. Uh, as TSA has short-term plans to throw additional screeners at airports that are experiencing larger than average wait times and delays. But what's going on behind the scenes at airports and air carriers is they're watching very closely to make sure that the lines aren't getting bigger and bigger. Uh, They're coming on board to help where they can to help with line queue management. But what the real problem that lands in their lap is, uh, is the public area security. And that's an area that's always been the responsibility of the airport operator is to provide local police protection, local police response, police patrols. Uh, Department of Homeland Security has deployed a few uh, Federal Protection Service officers to a few airports to help with public area security. But it's the direct regulatory responsibility of the airport operator. So what their focus is, is how big are these crowds getting uh, that need to get through the checkpoint, and how much of a vulnerability does that present uh, for those individuals? Because the public area is literally the hardest thing to protect. Roger, the the old line that I think a lot of people who have flown uh, over the last few years was, make sure you get to the airport two hours in advance to, to get through. Now, I, I guess you're starting to hear uh, air, airlines telling their passengers, sending them out information, you may want to even be there longer, you know, three hours or, or maybe even longer before your flight just to make sure that you get through the TSA checkpoint. Well, Dan, that's great advice. And actually, that's advice I gave my own son, uh, yesterday uh, who's uh, going to Logan in Boston to fly to San Francisco today I told him to be sure and double check and uh, look for warnings do you need to get there earlier because of delays the last thing he would want to do just like any passenger is to miss your flight as you're sitting in a uh, very uh, long delayed TSA line um, so 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 it's a very you know real real problem 
Um, and, and, you know, what, one of the uh, more chronic problems is this issue of safety inspections. Uh, there's yeah. about 3,000 aviation safety inspectors at the FAA who are deemed non-essential, um, and they've been furloughed. Uh, and these uh, safety inspectors are, you know, responsible for uh, providing oversight to uh, maintenance programs uh, that the airlines themselves conduct. And, you know, it's an important uh, uh, extra layer of safety uh, because anybody who, uh, you know, has been involved in uh, investigating aviation accidents and incidents uh, will, will, will tell you that it's the little things. Uh, that, uh, if not caught, can snowball into, uh, you know, a major disaster. And so not having that extra layer of safety with these aviation inspectors in place, uh, although may not be a problem today, uh, could result in some installation of a, of a part that uh, has been installed incorrectly or maybe the part itself hasn't been properly certificated that in a year or two years or three years from now could lead to a major issue. Clinton, uh, one of the things you mentioned a second ago I wanted to come back and touch on because it, it appears, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears that the pipeline of potential new controllers, air traffic controllers, seems to be relatively thin. Is that correct? It, it is, and, and part of the, the problem really dates back a number of years. Uh, when we had the, uh, the, the PATCO strike years ago, what ended up happening was over uh, uh, the first few years after that, a large number of new controllers came in. Well, those guys and gals are now uh, of retirement age. And so we had this big bump come in, and that was fine. But when this big bump gets to retirement age, then all of a sudden you've got a, uh, a, a, a big need for new controllers, and it's hard to get that pipeline uh, filled. So, so it, is a, it is a thin pipeline. One of the things that was supposed to help that is something called NextGen, which is basically yeah. updating the air traffic control equipment. And one can, can, can quibble over whether NextGen was structured in a sensible way. But this is going to delay NextGen even more than, than it already was. And that delaying updating the ATC equipment just will put added pressure on the need for, for employees. And, and if I could, could, could jump off of, of one of Roger's comments. We're also seeing delays now in investigating airplane crashes. Now, these are—we're not talking about the big, you know, uh, air transport category, but lots of corporate and general aviation crashes. The FAA people that come do those investigations—they're uh, not there. So, in addition to the safety inspection part, we may not be able to learn quite as much from the crashes that we have as right. as we normally would be able to. Was there a backlog in that area specifically even before we got uh, the government shutdown going? Uh, I, no, I don't think there was a backlog. The the, 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 the people that do that are, are usually pretty good right. at, at getting to the scene pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the big crashes is mostly a National Transportation Safety Board yeah. uh, issue, but the smaller crashes... The general aviation crashes, for example, the corporate jet crashes, uh, some will get NTSB investigators if they think there's some really important issues. Others rely on, on FAA people. And, and you know, you, you still learn a lot from those accidents. And the things you learn from those accidents are the things that can help 
uh, avoid future accidents. Jeff, it sounds like from uh, the commentary here, and switching to the FAA specifically for a second, that the FAA is basically in the same boat as, as every other agency, having had to furlough a whole bunch of people. Uh, and, and some of them obviously are, you know, have a certain level of importance to the day-to-day running and maintenance uh, of aircraft around the United States. Absolutely, and uh, I always have to chuckle a little bit when I hear the term non-essential personnel because I have to think, well, if they're not essential, then why are they there in the first place? Right. Uh, I, would, right. I would think that pretty much everybody is essential if, if it contributes to the safety and security of the system. But the FAA is exactly in the same position as many other government agencies. It's having to make a decision, it kind of goes back to the old animal farm analogy, okay, which one of you is, is more essential than others? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. know, those of you that don't, don't make the cut, well... We'll see in a few weeks, um, hopefully. Uh, and that's the challenge, too, just like with air traffic control. Uh, screening itself requires a high level of concentration. Air traffic control requires an incredibly high level of concentration. And when you're worried about what's going on back home and whether you're going to be able to pay the mortgage and which credit cards you're going to need to pay off, whichever other credit card that month until your paycheck shows up, uh, just just a few seconds of, of uh, having your attention pulled away can be long enough that when you come back to the screen, whether that's a, at a checkpoint or a radar scope, uh, and now you realize that there's a problem, uh, those, those few seconds delay before you realize, oh my gosh, something has now just occurred, I have to deal with this, uh, could literally be the difference between life and death. And, and this, this will continue on, even if this uh, shutdown ends today. Um, we're going to see a trickle effect go on for, for months and, in some cases, possibly years to come. Clint, what can the airlines do in this process, maybe to, to help out, I guess, in, in some way or fashion? Uh, or are they kind of stuck here because of the fact that these people, uh, the inspectors more specifically, are, are doing a, a specific job? I'm not sure there's a lot the airlines can do in the short term. I mean, it, if if they had known in advance that there were going to be this kind of situation, you could make some scheduling changes and, and put a little bit bigger cushion in in some of your flights in terms of on time uh, performance to be able to make connections and the like. But the but the problem is those schedules are done uh, well in advance, uh, and and short term there's just not a lot that that they can do other than try to be just maybe a little bit looser in uh, uh, when they close the door for the, for the, the, the people getting on the, the plane. And I think some of the carriers are, are, are doing that a little bit. But it's, there really isn't a lot that, that they can do in the short term to make much difference. Roger, your thoughts? Uh, one, one thing I'd like to say uh, is that sometimes these uh, political disputes have unintended or at least uh, unanticipated consequences uh, we, we probably all remember it's not that long ago all the battles over uh, whether or not the ATC should uh, be privatized, or whether those operational right. functions should be taken from the FAA and, and put into a, uh, uh, a private nonprofit, uh, you know, corporation. And and the uh, air traffic controller union, NATCA, uh, actually supported that effort. Um, and one of the reasons why they supported that effort is because it would ensure, you know, stable funding. It would take the funding outside of uh, the government and uh, put it in a area where there are user fees and it's a separate revenue stream that uh, uh, goes outside of the congressional appropriations issues that come up from time to time. And uh, most of the uh, major airlines were in support of privatizing ATC, 
Uh, Delta originally was, but ultimately reversed course. Uh, the general aviation community uh, has been strenuously against privatizing ATC. But a lot of the folks over at uh, uh, the uh, uh, air traffic controller union right now is probably saying, well, we told you so. Um, you, you know, if we were privatized, yeah. we wouldn't be dealing with these kinds of issues. So so it, it, it's an interesting um, – I, I doubt it's going to have long-term political ramifications on that particular debate uh, unless something um, dramatic happens. Uh, but but you could see how um, uh, this particular shutdown could alter the ATC privatization debate and create enough of uh, uh, you know political energy to maybe privatize ATC in this country. Jeff, your thoughts? I think there could be a strong push for that. We saw it happen many years ago with the uh, level one towers, which was the terminology used at the time. But the low level uh, air traffic control towers at airports that didn't experience a tremendous amount of operations, the FAA essentially said, okay, we're just going to pull our staff out and just not staff those towers anymore, which resulted in the creation of the contract tower program. So now the FAA provides funding for certain airports, about 250 of them in the United States, to hire their own air traffic controllers uh, that are certified, that are employed by private companies. And I think this could bring that discussion back. Uh, One of the things that's pointed out frequently is Canada's air traffic control system, which is established somewhat similarly to their their transportation security system, where it's primarily uh, a privatized uh, process, and it's um, it's private companies that are doing the work. Uh, and Canada already is is pretty much installed with NextGen, uh, as Clint was saying. I'm I'm, not, I'm sure this will only slow those wheels down even more for what's a large change in our traffic control system. Uh, but Canada is often pointed to as, hey, they're kind of doing the same thing we're doing, and they're doing it better. Uh, why don't we continue to take a look at that, and let's take this out of the hands and, and out of the uh, out of the realm or the the reach of the federal government and their um, somewhat tenuous support of uh, funding themselves. Clint, if we've talked about the TSA workers and the air traffic controllers, but what about the pilots? Is is there any impact on pilots because of this shutdown? I, I don't know that there is a lot other than than uh, you know licensing and bringing new pilots online and that sort of thing maybe uh, maybe slowed down uh, some of the some of the testing and the like may uh, may well be slowed down uh, so I'm not sure I, I would like to make one addition to to yeah. what my colleagues have said here they're absolutely right uh, but it's not just Canada uh, it's also Great Britain it's Eurocontrol I mean the United States is the only major aviation network in the world that's run by a government agency. And uh, the instability of year-to-year funding, uh, the, issue, the impact of shutdowns, these are serious problems that other countries manage to avoid because they all take a different approach than we do. 844 Wharton is the number if you would like to join in, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132. We're talking about the partial government shutdown and the impact uh, it could be having at our nation's airports. Roger W. Clark of the Clark Law Group at Rutgers University joining us on the phone, along with uh, Dr. Clinton Oster of Indiana University, Jeffrey Price of Metropolitan State University in Denver, Colorado, joining us as well. I guess, Roger, the, the part to this that I think a lot of people within the industry would like to see happen, but probably won't because of where the focus is in Washington, D.C. right now, is they would love to see uh, the letter that was sent to lawmakers and to President Trump actually have some teeth and actually have some impact in terms of getting this shutdown uh, alleviated at this point because of the impacts that we've been talking about over the last 20 minutes. 
Uh, it's a personal impact on the people who aren't getting paid and their families, um, and it's uh, something that everybody can understand. Um, the safety issues are there right now. We characterize those as an increase in the risk, uh, and we can only hope that that increase in risk doesn't result in some type of tragedy that uh, we will all regret for a very, very long time because of this political impasse. Um, and uh, so, so these are very real issues. And, and from a business, business standpoint, uh, you know, we were talking about the rollout of uh, NextGen, I think, uh, some component of NextGen, which is called Datacom, which is the text link. Uh, some elements of that were supposed to be rolled out this month, which will now not be rolled out, which is, again, another delay because of inconsistent government funding. But you, but you look at uh, issues from the standpoint of Delta. Um, you know, they have their uh, uh, new uh, Airbus A. 220 uh, program, uh, which is supposed to focus on business travelers. They intended to roll that program out at the end of this month. Uh, that rollout date may now be in jeopardy. Uh, Southwest Airlines is very anxious to uh, get its route approval to start flying to uh, Hawaii. Um, that route uh, approval is probably now going to be delayed. So you, you have these impacts uh, on these companies uh, that uh, will, will definitely harm the revenue streams and, and potential for business growth, uh, the hiring and training of new employees. So it, it definitely has a limited and harmful effect on business growth in this country. Yeah, and that's, Clint, that, that's the part that we hadn't talked about is uh, not necessarily the airlines, but the uh, aircraft makers uh, and the manufacturers and the impact that they're feeling on this. Well, that's right. And I think these these uh these impacts there, there's there's these the, the ones that, that roger mentioned the sort of what you might hopefully think of as only medium term uh impacts i'd like to think they're even shorter but there's an also a general concern of the extent to which this is going to cause valuable talented government employees to leave government service um, and and i know that in in washington today there is a job fair aimed specifically at furloughed government employees but hmm. private sector firms trying to hire them away. Uh, and, and this just, you know, changes the balance in, in how you think about uh, the different kinds of career opportunities. Uh, and so that is, again, a potential longer-term one. It'll be hard to put a finger on, but it could nevertheless have a, a, a lingering impact. Jeff, final thoughts on what we need to see here in the, in the short term? I think what needs to happen in the short term is a, a bill needs to be passed just to get the government back in operation. Don't add anything to it. I know um, I'm living in fantasy land, but I just got back from a Disney cruise, so maybe I'm still there. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you that, this. Let me ask you this: If if you had been traveling on, on the on an airline in the last two weeks, uh, Jeff, what did you see firsthand? Uh, what I saw was low morale, and I I was a screener back in the 1980s, um, right right out of college. Uh, for a very short period of time, and it's a hard enough job. Uh, those people have an extraordinarily difficult job, and I was talking to some of the screeners at the uh, checkpoint in Houston as I was going through, and uh, they're doing doing a good job, doing still doing a great job, just no lines. Uh, it's a particular time we went through, but I was just chatting with a couple of them. You could just see that uh, there were other things on their minds, yeah. and, and that's something else that is going to be difficult to measure. Uh, while we can say, hey, there's no lines, so the shutdown really hasn't affected TSA, uh, what you what you can't really measure is their level of attentiveness and that that ability to detect what they're supposed to detect, and that's deteriorating as we speak. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Have to end the conversation there. Roger, Clint, Jeff, all the best. Thank you, and we'll catch up with you down the road. Have a good day. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you all. 
For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.